All right, Acts chapter 16 is our study today. And I'm going to start by something that I sent um, a note to you about. Uh, Jewish men pray daily. And there's a prayer, and I'll read the prayer to you in just a moment. Matter of fact, I, I, I said something about this to our growth group last night, so no, no one from our growth group can answer you. You're not qualified to answer this question. But I got a, I, I got a note early this morning from one of those members, and she will remain anonymous, but she's sitting by her sister on the front table, <laughs> and it's not Cindy. <laughs> but she actually gave me the Jewish prayer that comes from the Siddur, and I'll read it in just a second. But men prayed daily, thank God I'm not, and three things. What are your guesses to what those three things were that Jewish men could pray in this prayer? I'm not what? Any of you know? Sinful like the... Sinful like, um, like the next guy? Uh, that's a good guess. It's wrong, but it's a good guess. You get no prize. You've already eaten anyway, so you don't care. All right. Three things. I'll read it to you. Here's the prayer. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a goy, a slave, and a, what's the last one? A woman. Isn't that, isn't that um, so inclusive? And I, it's an honest, it, was, it is an honest prayer. Thank God, every morning, I am not a woman. I am not a slave. I am not a Gentile. Guess how this chapter is divided up. God entering the life of a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. As we step from what is today Turkey, into the first missionary venture into Europe. Ultimately, this is how we got the gospel, folks. So this is an important trip. This is the second missionary journey. And there's another way to look at this chapter. It's a chapter of great openings. All right? Great openings. It is the opening you'll see in just a moment that this is, Paul had a vision and a man from Macedonia said, come and help us. And so God, they didn't know where to go. God opened the door and said, come this way. So we see that God's opening the way. He's, he's come this way. I'm opening it up. Come on. And later on we see Paul said, you know, God opened for me this door. Then we have the opening of the first convert, which this also outlines the chapter. Lydia, it says that God opened her heart. And then the last opening that we'll see in this chapter is the Philippian jailer when the earthquake came and God opened the prison doors. Isn't that amazing how? The Bible is an amazing book. And if you don't study it, it's your, it's your loss. And what the pastor said this morning, what Josh said this morning, is so true. It's such an amazing book, but it's absolutely necessary to know what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do and how to live and how to control our life and learn to say no. This great study is just, it's, it's amazing. Now, so this, this chapter outlines 
the missionary starting of the missionary journey. And I got a couple of maps that we'll look at, but this is, and this is the first one. This is based on, and I'll show you in a moment, we'll come back to this, but where you see where Jerusalem is, and they've left Jerusalem from the Council of Antioch last Sunday, and they went up to Antioch, which is uh, Antioch of Syria, where the church was, where they were teaching and preaching and so on. And then Paul decided to take Silas, and Barnabas left and went to Cyprus with John Mark. And so then they went on, Paul and, and Silas said, let's get going. So they got going, went to Tarsus, and then on to Derby and Lystra, which we'll see today, and then on to Iconium, Antioch, and their travels then took them all the way to the coast. And today is where we'll jump from Troas over to Neapolis, which is the port city into Philippi, the first city they go to preach to the Gentiles, the European Gentiles, uh, what they would call the pagans, us pagans, right? So you can outline the chapter. Now, I gave you, a, I think I gave you a map. Ron gave you one. There's a map on the, on the back side so that you could see where we're going. I'm going to show you a modern map in just a moment that uh, John outlined for us where that trip, look, what it looks like today in today's modern era, being mostly in, in Turkey and, then of course, jumping over to what is today Greece. A good outline is that Timothy joins the team. Eddie just read those verses, the first five verses, and then he gets the call to Macedonia in verse 6, and that goes on down to verse 10. And then you have Lydia is converted after that, and uh, that starts down in verse 11. And then we have Paul and Silas in prison, starting in verse uh, 16. So what happens now in verse, he just read verse 1 to 5, we pick, basically, we pick up Timothy here. Now, Timothy, is, his mother is Jewish, his father is Greek, and Timothy ends up in a very special place in, in Paul's life. He actually refers to him as his son in the faith. He may have received his training. We know that he was trained by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois at a young age in theology, but he probably was saved, or we think he might have been saved, at the first time that Paul went through here uh, with Barnabas, and they set up the church in Lystra. And so now when they're coming back, Timothy's got this great reputation, and everybody is saying the believers at Lystra spoke well of him, and then Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So it's interesting what Paul did. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, Let's stop right there because I spent the whole lesson last week talking about how you didn't have to do this. So why did he circumcise Timothy? Yes, ma'am. He was raised in a Jewish tradition, having, having a mixed faith parents, but also it gave him more access to the places that they were going. Kind of a personal thing that nobody else knows about. It gave him access to the synagogues. That's exactly why, I, you know, I believe, I mean, we don't have it spelled out here, but it, is, it does say, uh, so he circumcised him because of the Jews. He didn't say that he circumcised him for salvation. He didn't say he started doing all these good things and he got saved. No, he's already a Christian. He's already saved, 
Paul wants to take him with him, which he does. And so he takes him with him and in, in order not to offend the people that he's going to see in uh, the synagogues, he circumcises him. So, a great lesson there. And we talked about this some last Sunday, so I will not go into detail at all. But he did that so that there would be no reason for anyone to point the finger. And when he was ministering to the Jews. When he went to the Gentiles, they could care less. They, they didn't have that in their culture and in their tradition and in their laws. The Jews did. So, I believe that's why it happened. Now, so he becomes his student in the ministry. He helps him through. And, he, you know, we read about Timothy, of course, in the first two books with, that, with his name. Uh, first and second Timothy. But he joins the missionary team here. So now we have three. We're about to have four. In verse 6, I mean verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. You say, well, it's not important to see numbers and see increase. And well, That's contradicted all through the book of Acts. So that's just not true. That's just not the case. They talk about God's blessing and seeing an increase. And, you know, I, we talked about it at our, at our growth group last night, but... You know, what we are experiencing here at Lake Point, most people will never see Christians. It's just, it's just a, a fact. And those of you who have been in church all your life know this to be true. This is an unusual place at an unusual time that God has chosen to meet with us. And this place is, is literally on fire. Amen. And there are... Why, do, why does Eddie have to get up here and beg people to park elsewhere? Which I know goes nowhere with this class, you know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Pastor Steve. I ain't going anywhere. I'm getting here early and I'm parking and no. Don't tell him I said that. I'll get, I'll get thrown in life group teacher jail. But why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because people are coming from everywhere. And tonight, when uh, Sally and I will go and, and help host in the, in the next step class, it'll be packed. Last week, there were almost 100 people there. There's 14 people saved last, or last, not last week, last month. It's, it's amazing. We're supposed to have 100 tonight. It, it just, this is unusual. And Paul was saying, I mean, Luke was saying the same thing was happening. Now, in verse 6, we get the vision. This is an important part of the chapter, obviously. Verses 6, it, it, you know, it goes on. He says, now they start traveling through Phrygia and Galatia. And I think we have the map back up again. Okay. So they start going up through here, through Phrygia and Galatia. That means they're up through, see where Galatia is? This is the old map back then. There's Galatia and Phrygia. See that on the other side? Oh, he put up the other map. He's a sneaky guy, isn't he? He put up the, the in Antioch and in that area. Now, I want you to watch this because we keep this up there for a second because we'll see what, what's actually happening. We, if you look really carefully in the yellow print, can you see that? I don't know if you can see it or not. Up in the top right side, it says Turkey. That's today. This is today's map. All of that is Turkey. Uh, you have Palestine, you have Lebanon down here, uh, Israel down here, Cyprus, of course, is Cyprus uh, today. And then you have up there, see all the way up there, we're going to go in just a moment. Uh, 
Moesia is Bulgaria today. And then, you know you're going to get a geography lesson. And then we're going to go, he's going to be in Greece. Macedonia is up on the left. And all of this down here is Greece. There's Athens over on the left-hand side. So what they were doing, it says uh, in verse 6, it's having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. It's the province of Asia. The Romans had a province of Asia, not the continent of Asia. So don't get that mixed up. It's confusing if you read it the first time in the English Bible. It's like, well, Asia? I mean, the Turkey's Asia, right? No, it wasn't then. Then there was, it was a province. It was a Roman province of Asia. See it there on the left? That's the old province of Asia. Now the whole continent is considered Asia, and he's going to the European continent. All right? So he was, they were trying to go further into this area. I got my pointer, but I don't have time. See Smyrna, Ephesus, Miletus, Colossae, so on, all of those cities. They were trying to get there. Let me ask you a question. Did they get there? Did they get to Ephesus? Yes. Not on this trip. God said, stop, don't go there. So they were stopped, but they got there, ultimately. It said in uh, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, see Mysia up to the north of Asia, the, of the word Asia, they were trying to go north, so they tried to go south. There you go. They tried to go south toward Smyrna and Ephesus, stopped. They tried to go toward Bithynia and Mysia, stopped. So what did they do? They passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So they came to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. Macedonia is on the other side. That's where Philippi is. And so he gets his vision. They said, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the call. Now they know where to go. And after Paul had seen the vision, notice the word there. It changes, doesn't it? Changes to, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready once, uh, at once to leave for Macedonia. Who's we? Who joined the group now? Who? Luke. Who wrote the book? Luke. Luke joins us. We've got Timothy. Timothy's already on, on board. Now we've got Luke. Now we've got four. This, three times we're told this in, in uh, the rest of the book. But now we've got four people. Luke joins them. We'll talk more about Luke in a minute. So we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Listen, they were sensitive to the Lord's leading to maintain this kind of perspective. I can't go here. I can't go here. I'm stopped. What do I do? I submit to the direction of God in my life. That's important. We'll come back to that in a second when we talk about open doors, when we apply it in just a few minutes. Verse 11 starts the story of the conversion of Lydia. Now, we've got four scenes left here in this chapter. Scene one is to Philippi and Lydia's conversion. Scene two is the slave, the healing of the, of the possessed slave girl. Scene three then is the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And scene four is this final encounter that he has with the magistrates. All right? so. It says in verse 11 or 12, they go directly to Philippi. It's a Roman colony, and it's a leading city of Macedonia. The Philippi was probably, they estimate, was a city of 10 to 15,000, which is a big city then for one, one colony. Philippi was, it was made a military stronghold. It was founded in 
357 BC by Philip II of Macedon. And he was famous because he was the father of anybody know who? Anybody have any idea who was Philip of Macedon? I'm doing this wild history that none of us remember, none of us studied probably. But who was Philip of Macedon? Who is he the father of? Alexander the Great. All right, he gets nothing. Yay, good answer. I have, I have, no, I have no gifts today, but uh, you're a smart guy. All right, he's Alexander the Great's father. He started this, and then, of course, later on, they sort of lost out, and the Romans took over. So we come to Philippi. If you look on a map today where Philippi is, you find the ruins, but you look at Kavala, Greece, and that's about where it is. It's about 10 miles away from Neapolis where they landed. So they get there, and verse 13, they go, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now what does Paul normally do when he goes to a city? What's the first place he goes to? Synagogue. synagogue. He doesn't go to the synagogue here. There can only be two reasons, I think, and it may be a combination of the fact of, of facts, the factors that mattered why there was not a synagogue. Why is there not a synagogue there, do you think? Anybody know? Very Jewish. What's that? It's not Jewish. It's not in a, it has to be at least 10 men in the, the city for there to be a synagogue. Jenny needs a bookmark. You know, you've got to quit bugging me about the bookmark, okay? <laughs> getting harder and harder to teach this class. You're out of control. The class is out of control. Led by my wife. Okay, so it could be that, but what also could it be? There were some Jews there. I don't know how many, but there were some. What else could it be? He wasn't going to talk to them. He wasn't going to talk to the Jews. He was going to... Okay, he wasn't going to talk to the Jews. Then why did he go outside the city gates to try to find the Jews? He did. He, he was trying to find all that he could. Probably, I think it's, it, most likely it's because of the fact that they didn't have enough Jews to have a synagogue. But it also was, it, undoubtedly, there was a huge anti-Semitic drive on, and they were experiencing that. And I'll tell you why we know that in just a minute. So Lydia is there. She is a businesswoman. She's either single or widowed. We don't know which, but she's there. They're out there praying. They had gotten all the inside information. That's why it was good to have Luke with them. He knew this area. He said they pray outside the gate. No synagogue, that's where they're praying. So they go outside. Lydia's there. She's a strong businesswoman, very wealthy. She's a seller of purple. That made a lot of money back then. Why did that make a lot of money? Because the Romans believed every rank was indicated by purple cloth. So the Romans needed a lot of purple cloth. So she picked the right business. So she's doing that, and she comes. She's been, she's been studying about God, and she's been hearing about God. She's like Cornelius back in chapter 10. She's been praying. She knows she's been learning about God. And there was listening a woman, a dealer in purple. She was a worshiper of God, but she didn't know Jesus. That's why Paul saw that Macedonian call from a man, and 
Philip, I mean, and uh, Luke takes them over there and said, it's probably Luke's hometown. And so they go over there and they start talking to her. And then look what it says. She's a worshiper of God, but then what? The Lord opened her heart. What a great, great phrase right there. No one comes to Jesus unless the Lord opens your heart. He initiates the call. And, and I know what people mean, and I'm not trying to be you know, silly about this, but it is, import, it is important. We say, we seek after, you know, I was seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking, and finally I found God. No, God sought you first. And you might have not listened, and you might not have heard it, but you were looking all around, and he's saying, oh, I'm over here, because he's seeking you first. And, and so the Lord opened her heart, I love, if you look, if you read it in the original language, there it uses, it's used metaphorically, obviously, but it means to open one's soul completely. So her soul is opened, respond. She and the household get baptized. But when it says the Lord opened her heart, it means the Lord initiated the process. It means that the Lord opened her soul completely. And notice it was a heart issue. It was a heart issue. Nothing we do in this church, through this class, on the mission field, whatever we're doing, we are not doing it just so we can help fix things socially. God wants to, to do all of that, but the heart has to be fixed. And so he opens her heart. And then she goes, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, he said, she said, come and stay at my house. I loved what he said then. And she persuaded us. In other words, she said, okay, we're there. Then in verse 16, we start Paul and Silas meeting the second group of, uh, the second person in the prayer that the Jews pray, the Jewish men pray. Thank God I'm not a slave. Well, they meet a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, this was pretty common. This is a demon. We know that. It was, we're not going to go into demon possession and all that scary stuff today. But it was probably referring to the myth that they held to in Philippi about Python, this mythical serpent or dragon that guarded the temple of Delphi, uh, where all the priests, priestesses were there who foretold the future. And so she's foretelling the future as a slave girl, and the masters, they're getting rich. They're making money hand over fist. This is a great deal. Have you met my slave girl? She can tell you what's going to happen. Paul interrupts that process. She followed Paul, the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, that sounds right, doesn't it? Come back to that. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love the way Luke said this. And boy, I could make a lot of comments here, but I won't. But he became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Doesn't say that he went and slapped her on the head. Said, come out! No, he didn't do any of that uh, stuff that I used to listen to on the radio when I was a kid. And don't laugh, some of you did the same thing. You listened to it, you know, it was your comic relief. But at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, why? She's, the demons are saying the right thing, aren't they? Right? 
Why did Paul say, I've had it with this? Stop it. Why do you think? Anybody got an idea? Why did Paul stop that if they're saying the right thing? Anybody have an idea, thought? Yes? Because she was um, praising them and not God. Yeah, she's praising them, not God. That's exactly right. That's one. What's another? She's doing it for money, yeah. She's doing it for the money. Huh? She's doing it for the money. Yeah, I mean, the guys are doing it for the money. There's no doubt about that, right? Why did Paul, but but she's still, she's still saying the right thing, isn't she? Yes. Paul didn't want to be associated with the men that yeah. There you go. There you go. All of those are right. I think Paul said, hey, I don't want the demons, I don't want people associating the demons with preaching the gospel. I want preaching the gospel come from me. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And obviously, Beth. But the demon preaching or a real person preaching or God Right, and that's a good reason for it. That's a good reason for Paul to say, come out, and then all of a sudden she doesn't have the power anymore. Paul still has the power. <laughs> Paul's still working signs and wonders, of course, and God is authenticating their message. He didn't want their message to be authenticated by her, this future, telling the future, so he stops that by casting the demon out. So they get very upset about that. In verse 9, the owners got mad about their making money, and they lost it. They lost their uh, meal ticket. So then Paul and Silas, they were dragged into the marketplace, the Agora, or in Latin, the Forum. They were dr drugged to, and this is like a flea market, and the city center, and where plays took place, where meetings took place, where the city council met. They usually would have judgment seat, the uh, bema sitting there, a raised platform. All this stuff took place in the marketplace. So here they come, they're in the marketplace to face the authorities, and they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing the city into uproar, they're causing a riot. By advocating customs unlawful, Romans to uh, accept or practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. They didn't have this, uh, you know, 39-stripe thing. That was a Jewish deal. They beat them bloody with rods and just beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer commanded to guard them carefully. Why? Because if the jailer lets them go, what happens to him? Executed. Executed, period. Straight Roman requirement. And so when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And it's a nasty place. It's a nasty, 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 stinky, smelly, probably right through the sewer of the city. Off, if you've ever been by the Mamertine prison in, in uh, Rome and seen some of these places, it's just mind-boggling. And they're down in the depths of it, pulled apart after being beaten and everything by the stocks attached to their legs, which stretched it, of course, so that it would cramp purposefully. And uh, they, that's when that Paul and Silas started complaining and moaning about their, their great injustice. Now, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Man. 
they must have had something. But what happened? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. How big was the earthquake? I don't know. It may have just been the jail. It may have been this little baby earthquake that just hit the jail. It was, it was, a, it was a God earthquake. That the foundation of the prisons were shaken. At, all, at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain came loose. And the jailer said, it's all over. This is bad. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're here. We're here. Hang on, bud. Don't, don't take off yet. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And look what the earthquake brought him. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. There are people all over this area that have that question in their heart. And they're waiting for you and I to tell them what they have to do to be saved. And what did they say? Well, you better go be circumcised, join the church, be baptized, take communion, and, and uh, thank God every day that you're not a slave, a Gentile, or a female. If you do all these things, then you could be, be saved. That's not what he said. That believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Not teaching household salvation. Just the, the household, he goes home, they tell the household, the household all rejoices with him and they all get saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to, to, to him and all the others of the house. That's what brought the household salvation. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and what a change in his life. He washed their wounds. He was watching them and making sure they didn't escape and making sure they were suffering in their stock. Now he's taking them home and he's feeding them and he's washing their wounds and he's taking care of them. You think Jesus changes lives when he comes into your heart, takes over? Pretty good example here. The jailer bought them in his house and they're all, you know, they're filled with joy. Why? Because he'd become to believe in God. He and his whole household. When it was daylight, now we, now we, now we, get, we see the magistrates, uh, they're coming back and say, ah, let him go. And they say, well, I, you know, the magistrates ordered you, that you uh, be released. Verse 37, now look at this. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come and escort us out. I love that, that whole scene for two, for two very important reasons. One, they were Roman citizens, so what they did was illegal, right? As Roman citizens, they were, they were required to have a trial. They were required to have cross-examination, to bring evidence, just like we have in our democracy. None of that happened. The second thing, and the most important thing about that, though, is when they complained. Did you ever notice that? They complained after the Philippian jailer got saved. Why didn't, when the guy picked up the rod about to, do, about to whack him, what would I say? Whoa, I'm a Roman citizen, buddy. <laughs> well, right? Wouldn't you do that? Eddie, wouldn't you do that? Absolutely. I guarantee you, I would say, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. They just they kept their mouth shut. Obviously, the Lord said, look, I got some work for you to do. You got to get in that jail and win that person to Christ. So just trust me. So yeah, they suffered, and they were beaten, and they were put in jail. They let, they, God sent the earthquake, said, okay, all that's over. 
now I got the person saved that I want to get saved, now go squeal on them. Which they did. They were a little nervous about that. The office reported this to the magistrate, verse 38, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Oh, yeah, they're alarmed. If anybody finds out about this, they'll lose their job. They won't, and everything's power. They won't be the magistrates anymore. Matter of fact, they may be back in the prison where the, where the earthquake just took place. So they said, well, uh, you know, hey, guys, uh, it's okay. Uh, we're sorry. They came to appease them, and they escorted them from the prison. And they said, will you please leave? You're causing a lot of trouble. Will you please, please, please leave and don't tell anybody about this? And Paul and Silas, what'd they do? So said, well, not yet. We're going to go to Lydia's house first. When they met with the brothers and sisters, encouraged them, then they, then they left. Then they left and continued the missionary journey. All right. There's, there's a ton of stuff that this teaches. And that I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to say it as our learnings today. Maybe you can take a note or two and go back and say, how does this apply to me? There is a cycle of growth and blessing. This is the simplest chart I've ever drawn. This is the cycle of growth and blessing in a Christian life where you have success, what's happening? What do we say? We said this in our growth group last night when we were talking. You say, well, you know, God's really blessing everything. Watch out, here comes trouble. Right? I mean, it's true. It's true. But sometimes we, we tremble at the success knowing what lays around the corner. Be careful now. You know, you, God's blessing you. The next thing's going to happen. You're going to lose everything. You know what happened to Job? And then we see this cycle, so there is suffering comes, but guess what? He also promises that there is a song in the night and that it's coming back around to greater success. Did you notice when they were singing? Were they singing before or after the earthquake? Before. They didn't wait till the earthquake quake to sing. They sang before. They sang in the, in, in the night when God gives you the power to do that, as Pastor Josh said today, when the Holy Spirit gives you the power and the strength to do it. Open and closed doors. A lot of open and closed doors. Principle. God opens and closes opportunities to accomplish his purpose in individual lives and in the, individual, in the overall scheme of things. Keith, read Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. God's got the key. We talk a lot about, well, I'm waiting for God to open the door. And I've thought a lot about this, as I'm sure you've had, at many points in your life, did God open this door? I'm waiting for God to open this door. Or I'm waiting for, I don't hear people saying very many times, I'm waiting for God to close this door. We usually don't say that. But it's true. God closes doors too, doesn't he? Yeah. Let me just give you some principles. Number one, sometimes our plans are not God's plans. Well, I'm, you know, this is my plan. This is what we're going to do. Let's be sure they're God's plans. What we like to do, what I like to do is I make all these plans, and then when we say, God bless these plans, it's in a wrong order. 
We need to be saying, Lord, what are your plans? And he's already blessed them. So we don't have to ask him to bless them because he's already helped me to do it. But we get it backwards. So God, sometimes, sometimes it may happen in your life that that plan may not be God's plan. Number two, before God can change our direction, he has to stop us. We don't stop a lot. <laughs> Why? We got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. Got to get up, got to do this, got to do this. And our, our, our success of our Christian life is measured by how many things we got done today. And yet we want to go through the right 